There may be an earthly consequence, but there can be eternal salvation with Jesus Christ. Our sins forgiven forever with him. Amen. Well, it's great to rally here together with you. It's great to be worshiping with you, whether you're here in person or you're here joining us online. Man, we are fired up to make much of the one who saves, who heals, who transforms. His name is Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said... Amen, man. We launched a sermon series last week, and so we're getting going on this. We're fired up about it. We're walking through Hebrews chapters 12 and 13. We're closing up the book of Hebrews, right? So we've been going through it this last ministry year, and now we're launching into it to kind of close this one. And chapters 12 and 13 is all about how should I respond based on chapters 1 through 11. Like with all that we've heard about Jesus, Jesus as the lamb sacrifice, Jesus as the great high priest who enters into the presence of the Father on our behalf, the one who loves us, who willingly sacrificed for us, him who is called the Son of God, that one, how should we respond to him? Well, based on all of those truths, Hebrews 12 and 13 launches us into this series called Greater, Jesus, My Passion. Greater, Jesus, My Passion. Our job is to make sure that our passion is lit on fire for Jesus Christ, that we are running after him with all we've got. And all of God's people said... So here we go. Let's learn a little bit more about how to do that as we dive in today. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 7. And the first point is, see the love and care in God's hand of discipline. See the love and care in God's hand of discipline. He starts out, he says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, you are illegitimate children and not sons. I'll just hold right there. He says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Like we are called to endure. Why is he using that word endure? Well, actually last week we looked at it. It says, run with endurance. And so he's perceiving that the first question that the people are going to ask is, why do I have to endure? Like that's the perceived question. He's like, let's just talk about it a little bit. There's a purpose to this endurance. He said it's for discipline. It's for the shaping of the soul. It's for the changing of the heart. It's for God to get his glory. It's for God to be leading in our lives. But discipline, that's something that we perceive and go after ourselves Like I long to discipline my life, right? Maybe in how you eat or how you exercise or or any of those things we choose in life, we end up having a sense of discipline to it. We have some rigor, some life structure, the way we go after it, right? He's like, yes, that and all that God does involved in our lives and all that he does in leading us. And we're gonna talk more about that word discipline in just a little bit, but he's like, for endurance, Like the reality is you have to be able to endure to be able to go after and grow. Endurance, we gotta be able to stand in there and hang on. We have to be able to run, run with endurance, not run for one house and then stop. My typical run, right? Not that. Like be able to lean in and go after and extend out and have the endurance and where you don't to let that build up. 
May we run with endurance. Why? Because it's going to help build discipline, both from us in our own lives and God with us. It says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's like, yeah, God is going to be invested into your life. God is going to have some say through discipline. And he's like, let's make this clear. He's actively disciplining his family. He says, for you are sons or daughters. You are his It is God saying, that's my boy, that's my girl. Now we're gonna walk through this together, here we go. And there's gonna be some shaping and some informing and some calling across and even some letting go of. He said, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Man, all too often when we end up in tough struggles, when we don't like what's washing on our shore, the first thing we start to say, maybe not these exact two words, but basically we're saying, why God? Like, what are you doing? Why this? What's going on? Man, if we start talking about the words endurance and discipline, those two words, why God, don't come up nearly as often. Right, as we start to get the perspective that God is shaping my life and it's all for his glory and whatever has to go and I'm in. Okay, here we go. We'll quickly replace the words why God with Of course, God. Of course, I see it. I know this needs to go. I know this is something in me that has to be done. It's time. I know that you're letting this wash on my shore because I'm letting this be too much of a say in my life. Of course, God. I get it. I see it. I'm willing to participate with you in it, God. You're in charge. Of course, God. Everybody just say, of course, God. That's our willingness to lean in and let God lead in the midst of discipline and endurance. He says, if you are left without discipline, I'm just gonna say, that's a bad spot. So if you are left without discipline, everybody just say, "Uh uh-oh, right? And he agrees with you. The author here says, if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, he's like, let me just make this clear. All of those who are of the family of God have participated in discipline. All of those who are saved are experiencing the discipline of God. If your passion is to not experience the discipline of God, you are literally saying, I don't want to be in the family of God. That's what he's saying. In fact, he says next, You are illegitimate children and not sons, like you're pretending. That's what illegitimate children means. It means you're hanging out there and you're saying this is home. It's like the neighbor's kids coming over to your house, hanging out for a while. Maybe they have a snack or a lunch at your house and they're like, this is my family. I live here. And you're like, no, you don't. You're going to be going home soon, and I'm good with that, right? Like, that's a big difference, visitor versus family. And all too often, we're the neighbor kid visiting when we show up at church. And do you know Christ as Savior? Are you trusting him as king? Are you in his family? Or are you visiting? And please hear me. We love to have you visit. We love to have you here but we love to have you know the King of Kings, his name is Jesus Christ. May God the Father be your Father. And all of God's people said, man, may we believe that Jesus died and rose and he is King. You're in charge of my life. That's part of the family. 
Man, if you're in a moment where you're like, I think I'm visiting, then now's the moment to say, okay, Lord, I'm putting it all on the line, I'm in. You're in charge, no more. I believe you are alive, risen from the dead. I believe you died and rose, I believe it. And are you there? Do you believe it? Alive and risen, the next, and you're in charge, take over in my life. And that's what enters you into the family of God. Belief and confession, Romans 10. Are you in? Are you one of his? Or are you showing up at God's home, pretending a little bit, and then drifting on? And make today the last day of that plan. May God get all the glory, okay? He's like, be careful. God actively participates with those he knows and loves. It's a huge deal. He said, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Like many of us had great dads, great moms who ended up caring for us. And I know there are some who have gone through such heartache. We'll talk about it in just a second. He even mentions it in the passage. We'll get to it in just a second. But man, I'm telling you, we have parents who have responsibility. And the role of a parent is to lean in, to care, to be able to help you understand where you need to be going, to be able to help you to understand what to let go of, to be able to teach along the way. And a human father being able to discipline in various levels, and not even consistently necessarily, not even the best at times, but getting it down and caring along the way. And we respect them for it. That's what the scripture says. Like, hey, and you get it. You understand what they were trying to accomplish. How much more should we be respecting the perfect heavenly father who never makes a mistake? I'm just telling you, God never makes a mistake. Never. Everybody say never. This is absolutely huge that we grasp this. Because what we start to tell ourselves is, that has to be a mistake. You can't have wanted this just right now in this way. This can't be, or maybe to put it in other words, why God, right? We start questioning in and we start angling towards and we try to get God to back up because we don't get what's going on. But hear me, God knows exactly what's going on. May we trust him. May we see his love for us and his passion to work in our lives. May we grasp that he is changing us one little bit at a time all for his glory. He says, we have earthly fathers who have disciplined us. Then he says, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Like, hey man, God the father who lives perfectly, who leads perfectly, who disciplines perfectly, let's respond to him with joy and love and celebration. Man, his discipline should lead to a massive, joyful life. As we allow him to have a say in our life, it changes us. I'm just gonna tell you, I was listening to something this past week uh, with my wife and this phrase came up. The woman said, a joyful life is radical self-acceptance. Okay, everybody say not that after you stop throwing up a little bit, right? <laughs> everybody say not that. Dude, it is not radical self-acceptance. What in the world? That is such a bizarre phrase. The world is beginning to teach. It's just all about you loving you, man. And if you can get good with you, man, is it gonna be joyful. 
I'm just telling you, if you want radical self-acceptance, at least do it in light of who Jesus Christ is. I am a sinner in need of a savior. I am one who is in dire need of one who lives perfectly. You are my king. Now that's radical self-acceptance. Man, the world tries to teach radical self-acceptance. We've started changing terminologies now. You have the choice to go after pronouns that quite frankly, I've said enough. Like my word, we need to anchor into reality. Reality is where we stand and our God states what reality is. We stand with our King and all of God's people said, man, the call is not for us to respond somehow out of feelings. The call is for us to respond and say, Lord God, you're in charge. May God get all the glory. So let's rewrite what she said. A joyful life is radical self-acceptance. No. Let's say this. A joyful life is radical Christ acceptance. A joyful life is radical Christ acceptance with worshipful self-acceptance and self-denial. Both and. Self-acceptance and self-denial. What needs to be put down? What do you need to go after all with Christ being accepted as universally right. Are you in? Joyful life, it is radical Christ acceptance. We might need to be told no. And all of God's people said, all right? It says, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. I love that phrase. They disciplined us, talking about the fathers now, right? They disciplined us As it seemed best to them, they gave it a shot. That's what the author's saying. Look, man, they gave it a shot. And for some of you, you have been through devastating parent involvement in your life. Moms and dads who did the wrong thing. They either didn't protect or they maybe even tried to overshape and it ended up very abusive and rough. There can be a heartache that comes from moms and dads who have done it all wrong. And somewhere in their head, as they were moving through it, it seemed right to them. It it seemed like they needed to go after, and that's the best the author can give. As, As best they could at the moment. And may we understand, when we talk about God, and as best as he can, it is phenomenally perfect. There is nothing missing. And so while the analogy of family and earthly fathers can help a little, it can also hurt a lot. And so I just wanna say, I hear that. And man, we hurt with you. And if you have been through a ton of heartache, man, we pray for you, we love you. We long for you to be able to see God as he is. Your mom and dad at best gave it a shot. And all of God's people said, may God get all the proper glory. And all of God's people said, Dude, it's a huge deal that we grasp it. He says, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Um, Let's just talk about this word discipline for a little bit. We talked about it last week. We'll just reiterate three things that discipline is, okay? Three things that discipline is. So number one, it is absolutely the instructing in our lives, the informing. This is the taking some time to be able to communicate the plan. Discipline is being able to share and set the vision. Here's where we're headed. 
This is what it's all about, instructing, informing. That's the first piece, right? And that's a huge part of parenting. And for many of us, that may not be what the parents shared at all. They didn't give the big picture at all. They just gave the no, and that was it, a lot. And like, be careful, parents. Make sure that you start with instructing. Do your kids understand? Do they see where things are headed? And I get from little, maybe that gets tough. And as they start to be raised up, you have to figure out when it can start to make sense to begin to communicate, here's the plan. This is where we're going. This is what we're going after, informing and instructing along the way. Huge deal. And then the second one, and teaching what to let go of. Teaching what to let go of because they will invariably grab onto the things that are most self-serving. That's the way we live. And we start to look for things we want, we go after things we want, and we grab for the stuff that just seems to be best for us, at least in the moment to us. And so parents, we need to be able to help shape and teach them to let go. It's gonna talk about it a little bit in the passage, but that's where a little bit of a sting can sometimes teach. We'll talk more about that sting in just a little bit. But teaching to let go. Not that, that's gonna hurt you. Let go of that, right? And then third, teaching them what to grab onto, what to go after. This is discipline. It's all facets that help shape us. It brings a smile to our faces, we finally get the plan. It brings a smile to our faces, we recognize what to let go of because it hasn't been working anyway. It gives a smile to our face as we see what to run after are you in. Your God disciplining you like that, informing you through his word, through experience and consequence, informing you, and then second, teaching you to let go of with the proper moment of proper sting and the proper time by God and how he understands, and then teaching you what to run after. May God get all the glory. Discipline, Make sure, parents, you've got all three facets of that. By the way, right now, I'll just say there's a big movement afoot in parenting that's only about number one. Talk to them a lot. Make sure they hear it. Make sure they understand the big picture. Make sure they get, inform, and instruct. That's great, yes, that. But never actually shaping beyond that. Careful with that. Permissive parenting will absolutely destroy the home. Be careful. We love you guys. Really be careful as parents that you're modeling all of God's discipline in your home wisely and in balance. Ready? And all of God's parents said, yeah, I know, I didn't really handle the tough one, which is, yeah, but my kid's doing this, now what? Right? Actually bringing it down to brass tacks and making sense out of it. I get it. And all of those situations are going to need to be walked through. And honestly, if you'd love to talk at some time, we as, as pastors would love to be able to talk with you as well. Man, we love you guys. You have a hard, hard job. May you walk alongside your king and shape your home. May God get all the glory. He is disciplining. Make sure you are working with your king in that process. Okay? He says here, um, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness, like the song that was just sung in the offertory. It is about shaping our hearts. It is about bringing a holiness. It's soul changing. It's heart transforming God's work in your life. He loves you and he's shaping you. And it's going to be one degree at a time. Hey, praise God for that, by the way. 
Can you imagine if he told us everything we were doing wrong all at once? That's a bad day, man, right? To be able to hear all that and have to hear all that and then try to have to fix all of that, he's like, let's get to the core. We'll start with this. Thank God for that. As he starts to address the hard motive and bring us one little bit at a time through to victory. May God get all the glory. He says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. It brings up this word pain. And uh, I like to use the word sting just to make sure we make it clear. And uh, I'll just say this, parents, when you are actually shaping your child to let go of something, a sting at times there is needed. And now a sting can come in a variety of ways. It can come socially where you're like, okay, then it needs to be a separation from that friends or from siblings as whatever's gone on. It could be a social sting for a little bit, right? It could be a psychological sting. I mean, you could have one of those children where all you have to do is look at them while they're doing it and everything within them stops and their whole soul collapses and tears start running down their eyes and they're like, I was wrong. I know I was wrong. And all you did is look at them. And it was like, almost harsh to them that you looked at them, right? You might have that child. Some of you are like, give me that child, right? <laughs> there are the ones who are super tender and there's a little bit of psychological moment. You just bring a little bit of a honey and they're done. And like, why is that wrong? And you talk it out and it's set and they're on the right path. That's great, right? And that's maybe a little bit of a psychological moment, a little bit of a spiritual moment for them there. Or maybe there even needs to be a little bit of a physical moment and you have to make sense out of that. And what does that mean? There's words like spanking and no spanking nowadays. And I'll just say this, careful with saying no of anything, careful with saying all of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Some are like, just only. And some are like, never. And how about we just say, Let's figure it out in the middle and figure out where we're walking on this journey and you make sense out of what you've done and what's already been accomplished and what needs to be meted out and please be careful with how that comes down and it can never come down abusive. Remember, this isn't in anger. This is in love as you're stepping alongside. But be careful, a little bit of a sting needs to be brought. You figure out what that works like with your child. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, my email. <laughs> I love you guys. Here we go. Uh, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Just so we're super clear, it calms the soul to be right with our God. It just does. It calms the soul. It brings a peace inside as God is getting all the glory and we are getting right with him. Peaceful fruit of righteousness. Man, I'm telling you for the moment, we think we want it with all we've got. We think we're running after it hard and this is needed and we should have and but the reality is when we let it go and we get the big picture and we go after the right stuff and we apologize and repent to God and we re-surrender to him, God just brings a calm to our soul that is so satisfying. Long for that calm. The calm that comes with being right with our God. 
May we truly allow him to have a say in our lives. It says, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To those who have been trained by it. This word trained also like pruned, shaped, formed, right? That's the sense of the meaning there. There's a shaping of our hearts, a shaping of our wants, a shaping of our souls, a shaping of our worship, a shaping of you on fire for Jesus Christ one little moment at a time. Are you in with being willing to have endurance as God shapes your life? And it's a huge deal for us to be all after God shaping us. God changing us, God pruning us along the way. You know, this summer, uh, my wife and I decided to uh, do a little bit of fix up outside the house, uh, the landscaping. We've been at this house for 14 years. I mean, it's amazing, man. We've been in this area for 14 years, came down here to be the senior pastor of this church and love being here. And this is home for us. And uh, yeah, coming up on 15 and, and uh, super fired up about it. And uh, amazing opportunity to be here, to be a part of and see all that God's doing. Amazing privilege to live where we live and have the neighbors that we have. Not such a great, amazing privilege to be able to do landscape. Is anybody with me? Like, we're not landscapers. We don't really enjoy it. We get a little bit out of it. We do a little bit. And then three years later, we'll do what needs to be done next. You know what I mean? We're like in that plan. And so as we went after it, we've had some things that needed to be trimmed. And we trimmed those a number of times properly and and whatever. And, and, And some of the bushes, maybe not so much. And these boxwoods just got massive. And so then I go to try to cut them back. Well, now when you cut them back, if you cut them back to where they should be, you just have... Nothing, spines, no leaves, right? So I'm cutting back as far as I can and they're just huge. And then three of them side by side and they're just taking over and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Now they're even starting to die on one side because they're overwhelming each other and like it was a bad plan. I get I did it wrong. For all of those who love landscaping, I'm not saying do it that way. Don't do what I'm doing, right? Um, So we knew we were wrong. We ended up having to do some salvaging. One of the trees had died because of bugs that got a hold of it. So we ended up having a tree pulled out. We had some of the bushes pulled out. We had all these new things put in. And then they gave us the rules. Like, here's how you're going to water. Here's when you trim and prune. Here's how you manage along the way. And we've been awesome for like three and a half weeks. We've been... (laughs) We've been mostly awesome. And, And like trying to do exactly what we need to do and coming along the way. And the reality is the bushes are looking good and the trees are looking good. And we know how to do things right for a month. You know what I mean? God's job is for a lifetime with you. And he's pruning and he's shaping and he knows exactly what he's doing. And he's never gonna let it go too long where it's irreversible. Your God has a plan. And he's working in your life and he's shaping what needs to shape and he's cutting out what needs to be cut out and he's watering when it needs watering and he's giving you the big picture and here we go. God has a plan. Are you ready to let him shape your life? Are you ready to let him build endurance and discipline and change in you all for his glory? So simple question, what is it in your life that God is looking to shape right now? What is it in your life that God is disciplining right now? What needs to go? Let God talk with you about it. 
You know where you're feeling the pressure. Got it? Now it's, okay, God, of course you want to work on that. I'm in. Are you ready to give it to him? Okay, God, of course. Hand it to your king, okay? Point number two. He says, so run after holiness as you lean in and dig deep all for Jesus. So run after holiness as you lean in and dig deep all for Jesus. He says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. I love, the author of Hebrews just doesn't pull punches, you know? He's like, dude, you need to start running with some endurance. You got to start getting, dude, strengthen your hands and your knees. Let's go, man. You're drooping a little bit, right? He's beginning to be the coach, calling him out. And he's like, you need to get some strength in those hands so that you can lift, strength in those knees so that you can walk and run. If you're the runner, time to do some working out. Make sure that you've got this strength in you. It's time to build endurance spiritually. And all too often when we don't get what we want, the first thing we do is we go limp. This past week, um, my grandson Everett was over at the house and we actually have two grandsons. And so we have Ollie now who's this little one. So I'm holding on to Ollie. And um, that's usually not the plan. Usually my job is to play with Everett and we go out and we're like throwing discs. He loves playing with discs, like disc golf stuff. And so normally we do that. Well, he picks up a disc and he's like, Papa, and he goes to throw it to me and I'm holding Ollie, right? And so there's a little bit of a moment of, but we don't do that, like, and mom's taken care of. And so hang on, hang on, bud. We're not gonna throw with Ollie there. Remember that rule. And, and, and you could see him processing. He's like, no. What we do is play together. Put the kid down if you have to, right? You can see that little process going on, in the, right? And this is going back and forth for a little bit. And finally, he understands the answer is going to be no, just for a second. I'll be right, right with him, right? But right now, I'm holding Ollie. And he, he goes like this with the discs. He's holding the two discs. This is literally what he did. And then he went. We're not done. And then he dropped the discs. Boom. And then he sat down and then he gave the ultimate pout face. And you feel bad for the kid. It was a great pout, man. Like that's a 10 out of 10. Like it's awesome. But you feel the pain. That's you and me with God. We literally are like, what? Oh, oh, fine. I'll drop it then. Maybe I'll just sit down. And the author is like, no more weak hands, no more weak knees. Let's get in there. We may have to hear no, but God knows what he's doing. And all of God's people said, amen. He says, and make straight paths for your feet. Literally, get in the race. Dude, you're running all over the place. Run straight in the race and stay in there. May God get all the glory. I'll say it this way. For some, our wine is louder than our worship. May our worship be louder than our wine. Start running straight, right? May God get all the glory. He says, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. 
Man, where our soul is weak, where our soul is selfish, where our soul is angry, where our soul is broken, where our soul is wanting and God is knowing it's not right, it's like a weak ankle. It's wobbly and you're running hard on it. It's gonna twist and break. It's gonna come out of socket. It's gonna go badly. Hang on. Don't try to run hard on that. Try to get that through physical therapy. Get some strong ankles. Get some tough body. May the lame be strengthened. And we are runners and our spiritual ankles are weak and we need spiritual therapy. And God is bringing it one moment at a time. Are you in? And please hear me, we as a church cannot be on fire, passionate, contagious, pulling others in, standing against the world if we can't hear the word no. We have to be ready to stand with our God. May he get all the glory. Are you in? Truly strong for him. He says, here we go, let's talk about a few of them. He says, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace, like be willing to forgive. In as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Like how are you doing in your family, in your extended family, with your friendships, at school, at work? Man, are you a source of peace along the way? Are you willing to forgive where needed and walking along a journey together? No bitterness being held. And our holiness, it says ultimately, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. May we strive for holiness in our lives, a holiness that quite frankly comes from Jesus Christ. The holiness is not from us. I grew up in a very traditional church. We were taught, strive with all you've got, you will get there. You will not. It will be so frustrating. Stop muscling it. Time to let God change us from the inside out. May he shape our hearts. His glory, his perfection pouring on me changes me. His glory, his holiness is the solution. May we worship him with all we've got and let that change our lives one little bit at a time. And may we then run with that holiness. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Everybody say, that's saved, right? Understanding the blessing that God pours in with salvation and then even so much more, the blessing that we can have along the way living with him. He says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. No lack of forgiveness. No, oh no, you didn't, right? Remember we talked about forgiveness, the three stages. There's bitterness, there's willing to forgive, and even forgive in if they're willing to come across as well. And if the two have come across, it should be resolved in Christ and done. Are you living in the first bucket? I can't believe they did that to me. I won't forgive that. I can't forgive that. Man, careful, that will destroy your life. He's like set down the root of bitterness that springs up. Notice how it catches you off guard. We don't wake up and go, you know what I should do? I should get bitter with someone today. That would be a brilliant plan. That's not the plan, right? It springs up, it catches us off guard. Our feelings drive it and we drop into the wrong spot. Springs up and causes trouble. It says, by it, many become defiled. Your root of bitterness washes well off your shore and starts affecting other people's shorelines. 
they start having to deal with your bitterness, your unforgivingness. And now their heart gets stung. And maybe they go through a, oh no, you didn't. And now that rises up. And now everything starts going all over the place. Bitterness, man. It is more contagious than the most contagious viral pandemic. Bitterness. It will eat your soul alive. Be careful. It spreads wildly, person to person quickly as it springs up. May we set aside our bitterness as we live for Jesus Christ. He says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Esau, for those who don't know the story, this is Old Testament, Genesis chapter 27. He's actually, actually a few chapters before it, but comes up to 27. And uh, bottom line is he's a hunter and he's been out all day. It's been a hard day. He comes in, he's starving. His younger brother is there. His younger brother does not get the birthright. That goes to the older, the firstborn son, right? The younger brother would like that. The older is actually kind of selfish and kind of feelings driven at the moment. And he walks in and he's starving and he's like, the younger brother goes, I'll give you stew if you'll give me the birthright. And he literally said, what good is a birthright if I die? Like when we start to try to summarize things that way, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. And Esau's summary was like, sure, I'm starving. He justified the feelings in the moment. He went after the stew. He sold the birthright. Everybody say terrible plan. Yeah. And he ended up losing that birthright, going off to Jacob then after it instead of Esau. Esau, by the way, his name became Edom. He became the father of the Edomites that became one of the major warring tribes against Israel. It went really bad with Esau and his offspring, right? It says, for you know that afterward, when he, Esau, desired to inherit the blessing, right, it says, for you know. Now, why does he say you know? because he's talking to Jewish people. And it's been passed down through the generations verbally. It's in Genesis, some of what went on, but he's actually recording more than what Genesis records here and says what happened. And they told the story through family after family after family story time, instructing, which is a part of discipline, to get the bigger picture. And they're like, make sure that you don't just go after what feels good, like Esau. And it says, you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, right? He had one of those moments. Oh, shoot, what was I doing? What was I thinking about? Of course I would have wanted. Well, now I got to get this thing fixed. He woke up after he got a little food, right? He got what he wanted. Now he wants to change the rules. It said, but he was rejected for he found no chance to repent. And I'll just tell you, I don't really like that word chance there. If you look in the original language in the Greek, it actually just says place. He found no place to repent. Here's the bottom line. He was looking to come before God. He was looking to come before his father and find a way to have the blessing reversed and given to him. Doesn't happen. It's given from the father to the firstborn son once. And if he has rejected it and given it away, it is given once to whoever it goes to, and that's the end of it. It was given out. He actually is quoted as saying, Father, can't there be a second blessing? And he's like, no. The whole blessing is in the first, and it's been given. Here's what's being said. There is earthly consequence for our decisions, and some of them may even be irreversible. And that's what Esau tasted of. 
He went after selfishness and he ran into an irreversible moment. It's not that there can't be forgiveness of a sinful heart. That's not what's being taught here. What's being taught here is consequence can't be undone in this case. That's what's being taught. You missed the opportunity. I'll say it this way. It's a lot like an Olympic runner who got DQ'd for a drug addiction thing. He had the drugs in his system. He may get clean on the drugs. He may come back and say, I'm super sorry. They're like, that's great. You're still DQ'd from this Olympics. You're out. The cost stands. Consequences can be massive in our lives. Be careful. All too often, we begin to say, why God? And what we're really tasting is, of course, God. It's a consequence to our own decision and our own behavior. Man, are you ready to say, okay, God, you're in charge? He was rejected for he found no place to repent. It says, though he sought it with tears. He sought it. And some will say he sought the blessing. It's in the feminine form. In the Greek, it could be that it was the blessing. He sought the the repentance. It could be that. That's also in the feminine. Somehow, he sought to come back and get this thing restored, and it was too late. And in fact, what he was really probably going after was just the stuff, the blessings of it. This is worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow. And there was no way to reverse it anyway. He's like, be careful All too often, we put ourselves on a journey where the consequences now have to be tasted of, and we start to blame God for what's going on. Hang in there. Please hear me on this. God can forgive any sin. God can restore you to him in amazing ways. There may be an earthly consequence, but there can be eternal salvation with Jesus Christ. Our sins forgiven forever with him. God knows what he's doing. And if he chooses to let something sit on our shore, then he knows why he did it. May we trust in him. Are you in? In trusting the one who is absolutely greater than all others. May Christ be magnified in our lives. And all of God's people said, may Christ be magnified, not may I be magnified. That was Esau's plan. May Christ be magnified. No idols, no me, no self. I am running after him. That is our call to discipline. Let's pray.